Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Boyery, and as always, I'm with earthquake mechanic, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored in part by SoCal Gas, who's committed to building resilience in the communities it serves. We also thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast and our work for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. There was a headline in the LA Times from 2016 that says the San Andreas Fault was, quote, locked, loaded, and ready to roll. Many people thought when they read this quote from a noted seismologist, not you, Lucy, that the big earthquake was imminent. It's been six years and nothing. I know why that is, but Lucy, can you start to unpack what these three phrases mean, locked, loaded, and ready to roll? Uh, We're facing a classic problem in geologists communicating with the public. To us, an earthquake in the next century is imminent. Anything on timescales less than that is in the noise. This goes back to episode 15 on geologic time. Soon for geologists and soon for the rest of us is often very, very different. So assuming geologic time means that ready to roll, right? That it's going to happen at some point in the next century or so. What does the locked part mean? We got to start with what the basics of a fault are and the basics of what an earthquake is. So a fault is a place where big sections of the Earth's crust are moving past each other. This can be with or without earthquakes. And the earthquake is movement on that fault that happens rapidly and thus produces shaking as one of its effects, a lot like snapping my fingers. I move one surface past another very rapidly. It produces a sound wave that moves into our ears and we hear it. If it moves smoothly, think about rubbing your fingers past each other. The movement's still happening, but no waves are released. Now, the magnitude of a quake is how large a part of the fault moves at once and by how much, how much one side slips past the other. So if a 10-meter-sized patch moves, you have a magnitude 3. If it's a 100-kilometer-long patch, then we have a magnitude 7. But to move that 100-kilometer-long patch, you also need to move it a lot. You need to have a lot of movement stored, and that means it hasn't moved for a long time in some smaller earthquake. It needs to be locked and thus storing energy to build up to a big one. So you got to go through the basics of an earthquake to understand that locked means it's the storing up of energy to be released when it does finally move. Right. So then the big question seems to be, if it's locked, how does it have an earthquake? Does the stress of the, quote, lock get overcome at some point and then it's no longer locked? Can you unlock it? What's the the situation here? (laughs) Well, okay, yes, though obviously the physics is a lot more complicated than that. There is some moment where we go from locked and storing energy to slipping rapidly and producing the earthquake, and there's a whole field of earthquake physics going on trying to understand how we go from one to the other. Come back later and maybe we'll have the answer. There's some parts of it that we can understand that are important to look at. A fault will have locked and unlocked sections. We usually call the parts that are not locked slipping sections of the fault. So let's look at an individual fault. Pressure from the surrounding rocks is holding it in place, and then plate tectonics is trying to make it move. In the very shallowest part of the fault, there's not many rocks on top of it. There's just not enough stress to hold it in place. And sometimes we actually see some little surface slip that goes on in those areas. 
You go down to the bottom of the fault and it's hot. Think about going down in the earth. It gets hotter as you go down. And if you get far enough down, it's so hot that the rocks are now creeping instead of breaking. Now, though, when the bottom part creeps, that puts more stress on the middle part, the part that has too much pressure to just slip easily and not enough heat to creep. This is the part that's building up to the big quake, the part we call the locked section. So you have part of the fault that's locked. Is that all the time? Well, until the big earthquake and its aftershocks, right? There's some moment at which we go from locked to having the big earthquake. Once that stress is released, then it goes back to being locked and building up to the next one. If you have a part of the fault capable of a big earthquake, it generally doesn't have small ones. So based on what you just said, Lucy, every fault theoretically is locked until it has its next earthquake. Some are locked for longer and therefore store up more energy. But until there's an earthquake, we can say that every fault is accumulating stress and therefore is locked. Well, this is actually one of the things that we're studying. And we think that every fault has locked and unlocked parts. We have parts that stick and parts that don't. We talk about asperities. And one of the questions is, do we get an asperity because physically you got a big chunk of rock that somehow is really stuck together and there's parts beside it that are a lot looser? Or is it some variation in water? We have debates about that. But yes, every fault has sections that are locked, sections that are not locked. The size of those locked sections basically is telling you how big an earthquake you're building up to. So for instance, the creeping section of the San Andreas in the middle of California, it just has little magnitude threes and fours all through the fault. It appears to not be very tightly hooked in. Other parts of the San Andreas, we have absolutely nothing. And we think that they're all stuck over the whole area. So that creeping section you mentioned, is that an anomaly or something that you see everywhere? No, it's a really unusual part of the fault and not all faults have something like this. In most of the faults, you have a main slipping surface in that brittle zone from like two kilometers to 15 or 20 or 30 kilometers depth, depending on the heat. You have the lock section and then you have a creeping part underneath it. We do see small earthquakes around these faults, but usually they're not on that main surface. They're either on secondary faults to the side or they're at the bottom of the lock section. We talk about a transition zone between the hot creeping part and the cold lock part. You can sort of think of it like cooling taffy. If it's really hot, it stretches. That's what we get at depth. If it's completely cold, it breaks. And that's what we get in the lock sections. In between, we have the transition zone where we get small earthquakes that continue to load the locked part. So locked, loaded, and ready to go means that the particular section is locked, the stress is building, and it could at some point, and probably will, move. So every large fault, or at least sections of them, are in this category. And it matters when. Well, on human timescales, it probably doesn't matter very much. Pretty much any fault in California could have a big earthquake today, but it probably won't. And having a small earthquake somewhere around the lock section gives that lock section a nudge. Most of those nudges are not enough to push it over into actually rolling. We might think it's ready to roll, but it usually isn't. This is not to say that the nudge from a smaller earthquake has no impact. Every small earthquake has some chance of triggering a larger one, and how much larger that potentially triggered earthquake will be depends on what locked patches of fault, loaded enough to be ready to roll, are nearby waiting for the nudge. So a quake very near a locked fault is of more concern than one where we don't know of any locked big fault nearby. So locked sections on big faults are of more concern when smaller earthquakes happen very close by. 
That's why we probably hear more about smaller earthquakes from scientists and experts when they happen near locked sections. They have a greater chance of triggering a bigger quake. That's right, but we need to remember that those chances are usually still small. We set up criteria for advisories when I was back at the USGS, and the highest level we defined was for a one in four chance, 25% chance of a big quake in the next few days, 75% chance that we wouldn't. And at this point in time, with our understanding of the physics, we have no way of reaching that level. The nudges just haven't been that significant. Well, significant or not, we'll leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Buery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.